Welcome to the AI Learners Lounge. I'm your host, Cambria, and this is a podcast where AI meets learning and development. From exploring how AI facilitates individual learning to understanding its integration into broader organizational strategies, we tackle it all. Every episode brings fresh perspectives, innovative ideas, and actionable advice for those looking to weave AI into the fabric of the modern learning experiences. Join me as we navigate the intersection of technology and human potential right here on the AI Learner Lounge. Hello, and welcome back to the AI Learner Lounge, where we have a special guest joining us today, Josh Cavalier. Now, we've covered a lot of topics about AI and learning and development, but we've never really talked about how to just get started with generative AI. So this is why I've invited Josh to join me for this episode to give you another perspective and really learn from his expertise. Now, if you don't know Josh, he's been in the learning and development space since I think it was the 1990s. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, the 1900s. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long time ago now. Right. And he's one of the very early adopters of generative AI, like ChatGPT for learning and development. So it was one of his LinkedIn posts that actually inspired me to get started exploring AI. And I learned a lot from him along the way. So I hope you can too. So welcome, Josh. It's great to have you here. And before we get started, I'll give you just a few minutes if you want to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Sure, Cambria. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, just a little bit more background about myself. I got started in the mid-90s as an art director for an e-learning firm based here in Charlotte, North Carolina. After that, I started my own training company, Lodestone, and was one of the top Adobe authorized training providers in the United States. Did that for a little over 20 years. Jumped back into corporate for about three years, and then AI happened. And when it happened, it was one of those inflection points. Same thing with personal computer, mobile phone, internet. You just knew like, hey, this is different. It shows up differently. And I got very interested in it and went down the rabbit hole. And I was like, all right, I need to do this full time. And so that was March of 2023. I jumped and that's when I started joshcavalier.ai. And in that capacity, it really shows up as like online classes, workshops, webinars, conferences, you know, those types of things. So um, having fun with it. And it is like we talked about before we started, nonstop learning. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I love about it the most is that there is so much to learn about how AI and generative AI works and things change daily. So it's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I see a lot of your conferences and different webinars you're doing. So I'm really glad to have you here. So just to get started, um, I'd love to know about what your first practical use of generative AI for learning and development was. What was that experience like? Yeah, so just some context. Back in December of, so now 2022, uh, it was really more about just messing around with it. I was goofing around like everyone else. I was like making limericks and songs. And then when I first did my learning objective or a learning objective, I was like, oh, all right, well, this is kind of cool. And then in my mind, I was like, well, let me see how this plays out. If I were to go ahead and say, okay, from a learning objective, let me go ahead and uh, create a video script. And then from the video script, let me see if I can make an e-learning storyboard and just kind of keep on playing it out. And when I saw, even with the 3.5 model, 
these outputs that they weren't perfect, but it's a pretty good start. And I was like, whoa, this is pretty amazing. Now, in regards to like how it showed up at work at the time when I was uh, in corporate, the first project I used it on was I was doing this course for ESG, so environment, social governance, right? So that's kind of a big thing if you're either a public or looking to go public type company. And the learning experience platform that we had uh, uses a lot of multiple choice questions. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not exposing corporate information because I'm going to go ahead and use uh, this information that's already public, ESG information, and I'm going to go ahead and write these multiple choice questions, you know, with help from ChatGPT. So the method I use is, all right, I have this topic. I need 10 multiple choice questions on this topic based upon this information that's in this ESG public report, right? Mm -hmm. So questions got knocked out. And I'd have to say that it went through two subject matter experts after the question. Now, before I handed over the subject matter experts, I, I swept them, right? You know, so I went through them all. And what was funny is like, there was one question where the SME, who's an expert at ESG, was like, how'd you, how'd you get this question? Like, it was just kind of an oddball or out, you know, outside the lines kind of a question. And um, I had, had to say a little AI came up with it from this information. Uh, only about 5% of the questions actually came back uh, to, get, to be changed or dropped. And I was like, whoa. That's impressive. It would have taken me forever just to make the distractors. It's such a pain to make distractors that sound really good. Um, so that was really my first practical use of AI. And I recognized right away how much time it saved me uh, from just the writing and um, the creation of all the distractors. I mean, making a, you know, the correct answer, that's easy. It's those distractors that are tough. And AI did an amazing job, even with the 3.5 model. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear because I think so many are looking at AI and thinking that it's not perfect, so we don't have much value for it. It hallucinates a lot, but mm -hmm. just seeing it as that first draft, getting that out there, sometimes it's a lot easier than trying to sit and stare at a blank screen and even those distractors that AI can do that. I think that's pretty important to know because there's a lot of hesitancy sometimes around using AI. So yeah, that was really interesting. And I think that's a really good use case for it because you're still reviewing it. You have your subject matter expert. And the fact that they only kicked back that five for 10% that you right. said, that's <laughs> incredible. I was me. shocked. Honestly. Yeah. And you know, and that really solidified the concept of, you know, human, AI, human. And I think what people are, they're getting confused or they're getting mixed messages because they think I'm going to go ahead and interact with whatever model it is. And when it generates text, image, code, whatever, we're done. Like that's it. And that's not the case at all. And I think that really throws people off as they don't realize the additional work that needs to happen after the content is produced. And that's that's the big part of integrating that in with your workflow is recognizing who else needs to touch this before it goes either internal or external, wherever the content's being used. Yeah, I think that human validation and just being a part of that process, I think that's really important for 
AI literacy as we build it out more in our workplaces and start adapting. Um, so I'm just curious, how would you say that generative AI today is different than from when you first started using it last year? I think so. Uh, well, I mean, just the GPT-4 model itself, it is the best model and um, the quality of the information or results coming back are better. Even MidJourney or some of these other uh, image-based, even <laughs> 11 labs with audio, everything has increased significantly in quality. I don't know if it's exponential, you know, I mean, it's as far as like what kind of measurements you get to make on that, but I know it's, they've been significant. And if we keep continuing this pace, you know, where are we going to be at the end of 2024? It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I think that's something we hear a lot is AI is the worst today that it's ever going to be. So I think that really rings true. For those that are just getting started experimenting with generative AI, what are some practical steps you can give them to follow or any beginner-friendly projects they might want to try out? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is understanding that you have to know your craft, like whatever profession you're in. And, you know, in the case of, you know, our world, it would be an instructional designer, a learning experience designer. Um, how does that show up? And do you have the ability to take a look at AI-generated content and know, and know when it appears, is it quality or is it really bad, <laughs> right? And I think that's the first, the first step right there is, okay, yeah, I know my craft. If I were to take a look at this content, I got it, good or bad, I can use it or not use it. Um, and then also, like, where do you stand personally with AI? Because I know that in, like, some workshops or interactions I've had with customers, there are some people, they do not want to use AI because of all the ethics and potential bias and social impact and all these negative things associated with it. And I totally get it, especially like artists. You know, it's interesting engaging with artists who are like, it's just ripping off content. Possible. <laughs> I mean, depending upon how, you know, the the legal aspect of it works out. Um, so where do you stand with AI? If you're good with it, hey, full steam ahead. So you know your craft, you're, you're good with from an ethics standpoint of using AI. Now, what type of what type of or part of your workflow can you begin to start using like chat GPT or mid-journey or 11 labs or runway or whatever for video that you can start in partnership working with it again it's part of that workflow where you know it inside and out so that when you create that content you're like yes that's a well going back to like multiple choice questions right like how many distractors is it two or three right and then how how is the uh should we not use all the above Probably not. So, right. It's like the, the little nuances, even knowing how to create a multiple choice question properly. If you don't know how to do that, then you're going to get a whole bunch of crappy multiple choice questions. And so I think that's where the start is, is again, picking something that you're very comfortable working with and then integrating it into a part of that workflow and then start the back and forth with chat GPT or whatever model you're working with. Yeah, I think. One thing you said really stood out to me was you have to be able to tell the bad from the good. So for learning and development, as I'm working with AI, that's something I do a lot. So I'm comfortable in that space, but I've tried it for 
coding just to build stuff. And it's fine at first I can get it working and it's what I need. But then when it really comes to it, it's, I don't know if it's following best practices. I don't know if I'm just putting all this stuff that's going to make it harder long-term for somebody else to come in and try to fix. And I really don't know what to do with it. So having that fundamental understanding in your domain expertise, I think is probably one of the most important things as we work with AI. We talk a lot about job replacement or AI is going to replace you. Anybody can do it now, but that's not necessarily true. So I think that's something important for us to understand. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had some conversations recently, like if we were just like crystal ball stuff and like go way out, you know, there's that concept of autonomous agents to where, hey, if we get, and we'll, I guess we'll stay on the topic of multiple choice questions. Like if we get really good at multiple choice questions and we have the model and we have the prompt and we're able to go ahead and create a GPT and knock this stuff out, at what point, do you have to go ahead and stop that process and have human interaction with the results? Like that's got to be even part of autonomous agents. Uh, The point where that agent stops and say, wait a second, I need human intervention and I need an assessment uh, to whether I can continue or not. I don't even know if we're at the point where it can self-assess properly without making a mistake. Um, I think we're, we're way off from that, but, but having, having that, um, even way out, still having that human contact or that human intervention. Yeah. I think that's something important as the conversation does turn to autonomous agents. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Oh yeah. So you talk a lot about the good and the bad, being able to review the results and knowing your domain, um, there's a lot of debate about prompt engineering as a skill. How much of that expertise do you think weighs in with our domain expertise and how important is that now? Really interesting question because I know I have a lot of peers in this industry that are like, ah, just wait, just wait and the technology will catch up and I'll write the prompt for you. But you have to decide what part of history do you want to be on? Like with the internet, Are you on the side of history to where you didn't learn HTML and JavaScript? Because you know, it's funny, because even today, I still see people working with Storyline and the really cool stuff people are doing with Storyline. They're using JavaScript in the background to control a map or a game or something, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you look at these models, how do you interact with the model? You interact with it with a prompt, even if it's automated through Copilot or in ChatGPT if you're using Dolly. You go ahead and you prompt, and then Dolly creates a whole nother prompt for you to create the image. Like when you look at the information, so it's prompting for you. But if it's not the correct prompt, you still need to go in there and modify the prompt. So it's the language of how we communicate with the model. I personally believe it's still important. Like to understand the nuances of the prompt itself and how it impacts the results, even to this day. And, you know, you and I both talk about like, hey, let's give it a tip for $200 or let's go ahead and talk to it nice and um, encourage it. Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> there is <laughs> there is no rule book about prompt engineering. There is still studies being done today that will completely influence and impact how we interact with these models. Again, I believe understanding prompt engineering gives you agency. It gives you the ability to be proactive when you're working with these models 
versus waiting for a vendor to create an experience for you that is substandard and then you're stuck. It is because now you're waiting for the vendor to update maybe how their prompt is generated and the model that it connects to. Meanwhile, you can independently go and say, well, now I know how to tweak this prompt, be proactive about it. And then that that gives you agency. That gives you a lot of freedom to go ahead and you know work with AI. Yeah, I like that. I think it's really important to have that. And then just the flexibility that it gives you. If you don't get an output that you like from a standard prompt, then you can tailor it and try again. So I think prompt engineering, I don't think it's going to go away as a skill. I think it's going to be something that we'll need, even if it's not all the time. It's probably not going to be a career, but I think it's going to be vital for any job where you're interacting with AI. Yeah, I mean, you could go ahead and, you know, get one of these websites where you don't have to know any code whatsoever. But eventually people are like, well, I want to go and customize this page. And now you're you're doing custom programming on that page. And I think working with AI is going to be the same way. You can just wait for a tool and work with it and have that level of interaction, or you can dive in deep and understand prompt engineering. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison with that customization. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, We are just about at time, but before we wrap up, I wanted to see if there's anything you can share, maybe just one thing you hope our listeners will take away from this conversation and be able to apply as they're using AI. Yeah, I think going into this year, don't, don't be on the sidelines. I mean, I know some of you are out there because, you know, I hear you and I see you and you know that this AI thing is happening around you. Just be proactive. Go sign up for an OpenAI account. Start prompting in there uh, or download the application to your phone and begin to understand your relationship with AI. And that's, that would be my hope is just even if you don't dive into prompt engineering is begin to understand how to do just simple things with it to just just to get started. Thank you. Now, um, before we go, can you just share with our listeners where they can learn more about your work and how they can connect with you online? Sure. Uh, my website, joshcavalier.com or joshcavalier.ai. It goes to the same location uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of the AI Learner Lounge podcast. You can join us every Tuesday for new episodes.